Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Do you guys love being teenagers or no? No. no. More no's than I expected, to be honest. <laughs> I expected a more mixed review. I get that. Um, I look back at my time as, of being a teenager, and there were some really, really cool things about being a teenager. Um, a lot of things are the worst as well. Uh, things that I don't miss at all. For instance... Homework. I wouldn't like throw school out altogether because some of my favorite things, I went to public school, um, happened at school. Loved that. Loved the people I met. Uh, But like big projects and like essays, studying and homework, pass on that. Um, One of my least favorite things about being a teenager was curfew. I had a particularly rough situation. Um, I think so anyway. Because it started out where I didn't have a curfew. And I, I stayed out so late and it was the best. I think the, what happened, I think the story was my mom hated her curfew. And so like when her and my dad would decide the curfew, she would just win that argument and say, no, let him be a kid or whatever. Uh, at some point though, my dad convinced my mom that I couldn't be trusted. Uh, I did nothing to deserve this, but they just said halfway through, they're like, okay, you have a curfew now and you have to be home early. And I, I was so mad. It's, it's probably the worst way that could go down because after that freedom of no, no curfew, and then there is one all of a sudden, it was a serious violation. There are um, some other things about being a teenager that were the best, that rocked, and I loved them. Uh, I feel like I took advantage of my teenage years. I wouldn't say I peaked, but I had a really good time as a teenager, Um, which sounds like I got into trouble. And I didn't mean to say that. It sounded like a negative connotation. But no, I I just had like a really good, wholesome time as a teenager. Um, Some things that I miss from from teenagehood. Um, I miss my relationship with money. Um, Being an adult is cool because because grown-up money is cool, right? Like... I just bought a custom Sasquatch shirt because adult money. But my relationship with money as a teenager was really, really great because um, I had to like pay for gas in my car and like if I wanted to go out, at least later in my teenage years. But before that, like I got to do whatever, man. And my parents weren't wealthy. I wasn't like traveling the world, but my bills were all paid and I did not have to worry about it because my parents were paying them. (laughs) What a blessing that you have. Um, I miss... From my teenage times, I missed miss the lack of stress that I had as a teenager. Now, it's not true for every teenager. Um, and there were certainly some stressors around me, my social environment. That's always stressful as a, and complicated as a teenager. Um, academics were usually chill, but like, you know, there's seasons where there's a, a final or a project or whatever. And uh, so that was stressful. My extracurricular activities had stressful seasons. But on the whole, it was, I, I was pretty good. I was pretty chill. Um, as an adult, there's just like a different kind of stress. In my experience <laughs> that happens in adulthood. Um, like I know I've changed and I've become more susceptible to being stressed. I've like I'm just like more high strung as an adult. Um, but things are more stressful and higher stakes around me. Like if I don't, you know, like earn an income, I'll just starve to death. So like that kind of thing is on the line when you're a grown up, and um, it can be stressful. One thing that the thing maybe that I miss most about being a teenager is my access to friends, my access to friends, because I was less stressed and less busy. And, you know, you spend half your day in school. So, like, I had more time to enjoy and hang out with my friends. In high school, we would get out of dumb classes um, or uh, like, you know, the study halls or whatever. And we would go to the one cool teacher of the year. We'd hang out with them and play board games with my friends. So great. We played ping pong in the gym. It was the best. Um, in college, I literally got to live with my friends. So great. We had an apartment together. And uh, some of those people became like brothers to me. Um, I remember my friend Mario, 
who could, mind you, see under my door uh, that the light was out and that I was asleep because it was 1 a.m. And he would still pound on my door, and if I didn't say anything, open my door to ask if I wanted to watch TV. <laughs> Not like the place is on fire, like, hey, do you want to watch this with me? And like that is definitely um, invasive, but I did say yes like half the time <laughs> because I could and because I love my friends and it was great. I forged some ride or die friendships um, at that time in my life. I've done that as a grown up too, but it's, it's harder, <laughs> harder to make time and harder to make that happen. It was much easier when I lived with my friends to invest in those friendships. Every once in a while, I think about my life and the friends that I've made along the way, people that are close to me and think, what would my life be like without the people that are close to me? Like, what if my grandma wasn't so awesome? What if I didn't start hanging out with Sam in middle school? What if uh, those cool people that I lived with did not live with me? What if I didn't invest in my friendships when I moved here to NEPA? Thinking about that stuff, uh, it makes me introspective. It's important to do because it, it makes me grateful for the people that I've met and for the impact they've had on me. It makes me, helps me to pause and be thankful for the ways that my friends have cared for me, come through for me, and supported me. Tonight, we're going to start a series um, looking into a book of the Old Testament. And this book and the series is called Ruth. And Ruth, at its core, is about a couple of trauma-bonded ladies who uh, come together in difficult circumstances, but end up being ride or die for each other. And this series might seem different than series that you've experienced at Apex in the past, because a lot of times we go like topic by topic, not always, but this is a time where we're really going to spend four weeks and go chapter by chapter because I want you to know the Bible. I want you to know scripture because we believe it's God's word that he orchestrated to be written and handed down for thousands of years. I want you to know that stuff. Um, so there are all kinds of people and events in the Bible that teach us about God. And that's why it's important that we know it. That's why we hide his word in our heart, which is one of the things it says. As I've been studying the book of Ruth, one thing has been made very, very clear to me. Um, it's the main the focus of this book, and it's all over the like scripture and other places, so you've, it's something you've heard me said many, many times, but it's the basic principle I want you to take away from this book, so we're going to talk about it for four weeks, and that's this one sentence, God takes care of his people. Very simple. It's something that I hope you remember me saying, because I'm going to say it a lot of times over the next month, God takes care of his people. Ruth is a cool book uh, because it's a short little narrative book in the Old Testament um, in the midst of some very difficult material. If you've ever like opened the, the Old Testament and said, I'm excited to read my book, my 10 and 10 every day this year. And then you get to like the begats. Are you familiar? Have you tried open the book to the begats and somebody begats, somebody begats, some names I can't pronounce, right? And you're like, let's shut that for now. <laughs> and so it can be difficult. And in this part of the Bible, we get a lot of that. Ruth is in between the book of Judges and the book of First Samuel. There is lots of lists and begats in there. It's a literary break because it's a story. It's, it's events that happen to people in the midst of some of that stuff. It's also unique because Ruth takes place in a time of the Israelite history known as the period of the judges. And we see like the book of judges and we can see some of that. And in this period of Israel's history, they, um, they're struggling in a big way. They're walking away from God. God's chosen people, Israel, are walking away from him and they're struggling to trust him. It's, it's marked by moral decay and spiritual decline. And God in, these, in the judges, in the period of the judges, God is disciplining his people to guide them back to following him. So in between the stories of Israel failing over and over and over again, we have the book of Ruth. 
which is cool because it's a story of a woman who was a foreigner who married into God's people, married into the Israelite nation, and was more God-like than most of the Israelites that were being written about. She got it. She honored God. She was showing everybody up by living a life that honored God. And this is a theme we're going to come back to, especially in chapter four. But for now, just keep in mind that Ruth is a foreigner. It's important to keep in mind this whole time, Ruth is a foreigner who marries into the nation of Israel, marries into the people of God. She's got more godly character than most Israelites. So as we dive into Ruth 1, we'll do this every week. I have a little video that's going to set the table, set the scene for our discussion. So this is a little bit of information on Ruth 1. If we looked at a timeline of the Old Testament, we would find the book of Ruth happening during the time of Judges, before 1 Samuel, but after Joshua. In Judah, there is a town named Bethlehem, and in that town, there is a man named Elimelech who is married to a woman named Naomi. They had two sons named Malan and Kilian. In those days, there was a famine in Bethlehem, and they decided to travel to the country of Moab to sojourn there which means they didn't intend to stay permanently. While in Moab, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi with the two sons. These two sons married women from Moab. Kilian married a woman named Orpah, and Malin married a woman named Ruth. After 10 years of living in Moab, Malin and Kilian die, thus leaving Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth widowed. Naomi is now in a foreign land without her husband and without her sons. Naomi hears that the famine in Bethlehem is over and desires to return home. She turns to her two daughters-in-law and tells them to return to their families. But Ruth and Orpah refuse, saying they will go with Naomi. This is how Naomi responds. Why would you? I don't have new sons to give you for husbands, and I'm too old to get a husband to have more sons for you. But even if I did, would you wait for them, refrain from marriage, until they were old enough? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Together they wept. Orpah kissed Naomi goodbye and went home. But Ruth stayed. Naomi argues, but Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go. And where ye lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. They then traveled to Bethlehem together. When they had returned, the town was stirred up because of them, asking if this was really Naomi. Her response is, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So they had returned to Bethlehem, Ruth with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now I know what you're thinking. That's Ruth 1. I know what you're thinking about it. Orpah is not a name because that's what I was thinking as well. Which leads me to a fun fact. Do you guys know about Oprah Winifrey? Do you know her? Do you guys know about Oprah? 
I know the grown-ups in the room do, uh, but I just wonder if, if teenagers know about Oprah. Anyway, she's an icon, and um, her parents actually named her Orpa. She was named after this biblical character, Orpa, and um, people in her family kept like misspelling and mispronouncing it as Oprah, and it just stuck. She was born Oprah, Orpa Winfrey, and it, it is hard, yeah, and they just started calling her Oprah, and I think that's really interesting. Orpa is short-lived in this book. It's really more about Ruth, right? The, the namesake. The first chapter, however, is more about Naomi. So you're going to see that, that woman, Naomi, there. Um, they set the scene where Naomi is the matriarch of this family, right? This family and this story. However, she's not the matriarch of much because in Ruth 1, 1 through 5, it lays out for us this family. A man named Elimelech, and Elimelech is from Bethlehem, a city you might remember as being the birthplace of Jesus. We'll come back to that uh, in the later weeks. Elimelech from Bethlehem marries a woman named Naomi. And there's a famine in Bethlehem that's so bad that they're like, we got to get out of here. Um, you may have read books or about the Great Depression or whatever, and people had to leave their homes and go to California hoping there was work there. And so that's what Elimelech did, essentially. He said, we got to get out of here because there's no food here. The weather's bad. We can't make any crops. we got to get out of here. So they moved to Moab. They decided to stay in Moab for a while to avoid that famine. So in Moab, they have two sons. Million or, or Malin and Killian. Malin and Killian. And uh, Elimelech dies here, leaving Malin and Killian to take care of their mother, Naomi. So while in Moab, Malin and Killian marry two Moabite women, for, uh, foreign women, again, keeping that in mind, foreign women, Orpah and Ruth, married them into the nation of Israel. Ten years later, both Malin and Killian die as well. A really, really tragic situation here um, because it leaves Naomi and her daughters-in-law three widows. In that culture, it's very difficult to be a widow. Uh, men had certain privileges and, and, and rights that women did not have, so they didn't have anyone to take care of them. They were, in, they were sunk without their husbands to take care of them. And Naomi receives word that the famine in Bethlehem is over. So Naomi's like, I don't even go here in Moab. I, this is not my place. And I hear the famine is gone in Bethlehem, so I'm going to go back to my hometown. Before she leaves, she tells Orpah and Ruth to stay in Moab. Ladies, there's nothing for you in Bethlehem. I know that like we've been together for 10 years. It's been really nice but I'm going to go back to my home. I don't want to be a burden to you. And, and you guys have people here and you can be taken care of here in Moab. And Orpah and Ruth were both like, Naomi, we can't do that. We can't leave you alone to do that. But Naomi insisted. And at that point, Orpah's like, well, I guess if you say so, and she bounces. So Orpah's gone. But Ruth was different. Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth shared this teary goodbye. But Ruth was not okay with that. She couldn't accept that goodbye. So Orpah takes off to her family in Moab, but Ruth clung to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, there's a stereotype about mothers-in-law being difficult people, um, and I'm sure that that stereotype is well-earned in many cases. But Naomi and Ruth were close family for 10 years. They knew each other. They were family. They had a bond and a relationship that Ruth was not ready to let go of. When Naomi told her to leave, she said, stay here with your, I'm going to go, you stay here with your, Mo, your Moabite family. This is what Ruth said in Ruth 1.16. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. 
Naomi had given her an out. She said, go, you don't owe me anything. You stay with your family in Moab. You got people here. You know the situation. Stay here. But Ruth was committed and devoted to her mother-in-law. She was ride or die for Naomi. I think that last line there, your God will be my God, is saying more than it's saying. When Ruth vows to remain with Naomi's God, um, people don't just do that out of nowhere. It was not convenient for Ruth to stay with Naomi. She had been married into this Israelite family for 10 years. So for 10 years, um, she had been experiencing Yahweh. She had been experiencing the worshiping, uh, the God of Israel. She had an old religion in Moab. Certainly they had religious practices and they were different, but she knew them before. She marries into this Israelite family. And then when it comes to make a choice, when it comes down to it, where she could go back to her life in Moab or follow Naomi, stay with Naomi and follow the God of Israel, that's what she chooses to do. She knows the God of Israel has something. She made the decision to be faithful to Naomi's God and make that God her own. We can't ignore the family aspect as well, the people aspect at play here. She chose to stay with Naomi, and Naomi didn't have anyone else at this point, especially in Moab. In this next chapter, we're going to talk about just how alone and poor she would be, but Ruth is not in this for the money. That's not an option here. Naomi had nothing. She had no one, and Ruth did something that God's people are supposed to do. A reminder, she's a foreigner from Moab marrying into the nation of Israel. She did something that God's people are supposed to do. She took care of someone that didn't have anyone. Ruth took care of someone that didn't have anyone. She serves as a great representation of God here because Ruth pledges to take care of Naomi. And that's what God does. God takes care of his people. And through Ruth, God took care of Naomi. Some people, um, they talk about Ruth's devotion to Naomi here and, and decision to follow the God of Israel like the decision of Abraham, who's a guy earlier in the Bible from the book of Genesis. To understand what that means, we have to really start at the beginning. So God created Adam and Eve, and he created them. They had perfect union relationship with God. But part of their creation, and, and a piece that we still have today, is free will. We get to choose whether we're going to follow God, trust God, or not. Adam and Eve chose not to trust God, and it broke their relationship. Sin entered the world, and sin separates us from God. It does that with us. It did that with Adam and Eve. So after Adam and Eve, God chose to re-reveal himself to humanity. He says, this cannot be the end of the story with this broken relationship. I'm going to begin a process of mending that relationship. And he begins a process of establishing his people, this Israel nation we were talking about. He begins that with Abraham. Um, Father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. So he, God reveals himself to Abraham here, and he says, he knows Abraham. He says, this man is going to carry my word. He's going to found my people. That's a big deal. He starts the nation of Israel with Abraham. So this is what God said to Abraham in Genesis 12. Remember, um, Ruth is choosing to leave her homeland and go to the nation of Israel, go to Bethlehem. This is what uh, happened to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country. Leave your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And now, today, looking back, we know what this means. We know what Abraham's deal was. God protected the nation of Israel because he gave us Jesus through the nation of Israel. 
through Abraham's decision to follow and trust God. He showed, God showed himself trustworthy to Abraham. And Abraham gave up everything. He trusted God so much that he gave up everything. He left everything he knew to go into something that he knew nothing about. Required a lot of trust from God. And we see a similar devotion and trust in Ruth, except that God's voice doesn't speak to her. (laughs) She just makes this decision because she's seen the power of the God of Israel. She's linking herself to Naomi in this spiritual way. I'm going to follow your God, but also in a relational way, which is really interesting. Naomi is an old widow at this point. So she is an old woman and she has no expectation of of marrying again, starting a new family. She knows that that kind of stuff is past her. And, um, we're going to talk about it in the next couple chapters, but there are some like property laws and like that actually make it likely that Ruth, a young widow is still going to be married. Naomi says, there's nothing left for me. It's fine. I'm going to, I'll figure it out. But Ruth has a future. She has a promise. She's still a young woman and still has the potential to be married. So when she clings to Naomi and connects with her and says, we're getting this together, she makes a promise to Naomi. She gives hope to Naomi's situation, a second chance for Naomi. She takes care of her. She takes care of Naomi when she doesn't have anyone else to take care of her. It's easy to see Ruth as a Jesus-like person here. They'll call it a type of Christ, a type of Christ. Every time you read the Bible, um, especially narrative in the Old Testament, you should be looking out for people that remind you of Jesus and situations and events that remind you of what Jesus did. You may have heard me say this kind of thing before, that your Jesus senses should be tingling, right? That's two weeks in a row. Every apex in 2022, I've made a Spider-Man reference. Make that, make, make sure that we record that. So Ruth should make you think about Jesus. Ruth should make your Jesus senses tingle in this, at this point. She is what they call a type of Christ, a type of Jesus. Naomi was pretty much hopeless. She didn't have anyone to turn to. She was destined for poverty and loneliness until Ruth stepped in. Naomi did not have a future until Ruth stepped in. She didn't owe Naomi anything. She was not bound by oath or law to care for her mother-in-law, but she was bound by her character. She was bound, compelled by her love and care for her mother-in-law, Naomi. She made a way for Naomi to live again. She gave her hope and life and a second chance And now I hope you can hear the Jesus stuff here. We are the same way. Without God's help, we are destined for hopelessness and loneliness. We have no way to him without his intervention. Jesus stepped in. He wasn't bound by oath or law. He was bound by his character, by his love for his people. He made a way for us to live again. He gave us hope and life and a second chance because God takes care of his people. Jesus is the ultimate example of that. God takes care of his people. And now it's really important for us to think about what we're going to do with that second chance. We were destined for hopelessness and loneliness and Jesus stepped in. And if you let him, he'll change that entirely, give you a second chance and new life. So what will you do with that new life? I have some criticism for Naomi here. Um, Some Bible experts, their experts are kind of torn on how we're supposed to look at Naomi in the book of Ruth. Um, Some would say that Naomi's supposed to be this, a good example. She guides Ruth later on in in the next couple chapters. She guides Ruth. She wants what's best for her. And not just because she's taking care of her, but because she genuinely cares for her daughter-in-law. I hope that that's true. Um, And I don't disagree that Naomi cares for Ruth. But I think I side with other theologians that they don't see Naomi as being really awesome here. 
Um, and we may or may not talk about how Naomi is not awesome later, but here is very, very clear. Um, I see a clear misstep from Naomi in chapter one of Ruth. People throughout biblical history have been faced with difficult things, and they are known for one particular thing. I want you to guess this thing. They're known for one particular thing. People are spoken highly of for their strength and their wisdom and their righteousness and integrity and other Christ-like attributes, but there's one thing that stands above the rest. Can anyone guess? What is that one thing that people in the Bible are known for and praised for? Whisper it. Go ahead. Let me give you a hint. It's the thing that Bible celebrates most about people. There's a, they, he makes a whole hall of fame for it in Hebrews 11. Anybody? Yell it out. Go ahead. Yeah. Do you know? Faith. 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 This is the thing. All throughout the Bible, people are praised for all kinds of Christ-like things. Like I said, strength, wisdom, integrity. But the thing that the Bible, that, that God praises people and, and, and uh, encourages people in the most that there's a whole chapter devoted to how great these, these um, examples of faith were in Hebrews 11. is faith. Faith is the thing. So what you would expect from a devoted Israelite, a devoted God follower in this scenario is faith. When faced with a difficult situation, a, God, a devoted God follower responds with faith. Faith that God is going to take care of you. Hope that things are going to be used for good. Think of Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Paul and Jesus. They all showed faith in the face of adversity. And that doesn't mean that they never had a doubt. Um, think of Moses in the burning bush where he tells God, I just can't. I just can't. He tells God that he can't do all the things that God is about to do him, do through him. That's exactly what he does. Think of uh, David committing adultery and murdering the husband. Peter denying Jesus three times. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, a temptation. Everyone struggles at times in the face of adversity, but ultimately, people who have given their lives to God, following Jesus, following God, of the God of Israel, they choose faith over everything else. Faith in the end. And they don't identify themselves by their doubt or their hopelessness or their loneliness because in Jesus those things are gone. So they identify themselves by faith in a God who's promised to take care of them. Not what Naomi does. This is where I want to challenge you tonight as well. When you are faced with challenges and adversities, what is your response? How do you respond when things get tough? We talked not long ago about Joseph. Joseph was dealt with lots of difficult things. And he responded by clinging to God trusting that he'll take care of him. We talked about Mary before Christmas. She, the, the angel said, hey, you got some tough stuff ahead of you. And she responded by trusting that God would take care of her. What is your response when things don't look good? Because Naomi's was to be a big baby about it. So Ruth agrees. All right, back into Ruth chapter one. Ruth says, okay, Naomi, I'm gonna go with you. And Naomi says, okay, let's go back to Bethlehem together. Bethlehem's a small town to begin with, um, but at this point, we're after a famine where families like Elimelech's family have left. People have probably died because they didn't leave. Uh, an obliterated town, a small town to begin with, even smaller, and you know how small towns work. Everybody knows everybody's business. So that is what was happening in Bethlehem. People started to hear that Naomi was back. They were pretty excited about it. So this is what it says in uh, Ruth 1.19. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. They were pumped to see this woman. For some of them, this is an old friend making her way back home. 
And even if they didn't know her well, um, they knew who she was, that Naomi was back. It would be a good sign for the town to see someone like Naomi come back, right? They're just dealing with a famine, and now they're through it, and people are coming back. It's an exciting time to live in Bethlehem. And this is how Naomi replied to their excitement, because she's a drama queen. Ruth 1, 20-21. Don't call me Naomi. <laughs> Don't call me Naomi, she responded. I imagine her hand on her forehead. <laughs> Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Drama queen. I'll say it again. Everybody has moments of doubt. And, and to be fair, Naomi has been through some really difficult stuff. I'm just kind of making a point of which side of where Naomi, Naomi stands that I stand on. So she's been through a lot. But she literally tries to change her name. And I say tries because, like, <laughs> this never comes up again in the book of Ruth. Nobody, like, calls her that. You know when somebody tries to make up a nickname and then, like, everyone's like, okay, Jason, we're not going to call you <laughs> Axe or whatever you want to be called. So Naomi tries to give herself a nickname and it doesn't stick. She's been through a lot, I know, but she identifies with what she's been through. She, I, she makes it her identity that things are tough. So she literally tries to change her name. The name Naomi, the Hebrew name, means pleasant. It means beautiful. And she tries to name her, change her name to Mara, which means bitterness. <laughs> Yikes. She tries to take what has happened to her, the tragedies of her life, and make it her identity. She wants to make hopelessness and loneliness her identity. I think that Naomi really messed up here. This is not what a, a faithful Israelite would do if they really understood the promise of God. This is not a picture of faith or godliness. This does not sound like something that someone who believes God takes care of his people would do. She identifies with her brokenness. I know that you live lives that are difficult and complicated. Everyone in here has been through all kinds of hard and tragic things. And we all have times where we wonder if, if this is really true, if God is really good for this promise. I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you not to get stuck there, not to get stuck in the doubt, uh, in the pain, not to get stuck in that feeling of hopelessness and loneliness. Because when you serve a God that's all about hope and comfort, you don't have to stay there. You're not alone when following God. God will not make your life perfect. But when you go through things that are imperfect, he's with you. That's the promise of God. He promises to take care of his people. You can be comforted by this promise. A promise as old as time. A promise that comforted Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Paul and Jesus. A promise that Ruth came to believe. God takes care of his people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that we, um, we don't have to, to guess about how you feel about us. We don't have to guess about if things are going to be okay or not. We can trust in the God of all creation, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Peter, and Paul, and Jesus, the God who has always taken care of his people. 
God, I ask that you would help us as we study Ruth to see ourselves in this story, to see um, the struggle of Naomi and, and how we deal with that, to see Jesus' devotion on the cross that we can see in Ruth's devotion to her mother-in-law and devotion to a God that is foreign to her. We thank you so much that we can learn from your scripture. And God, I pray that you would challenge us to not identify with our brokenness, but to identify with the promise that you take care of your people. We are your people. When we choose to follow you, we are those people. We thank you for taking care of us. We love you. In your precious name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Jesus.